Welcome to the Highly Objective Podcast, where we talk to cannabis industry executives and investors and go into the weeds on recent news. Um, for me, you know, long career on the, both on the buy side and the south side over the past two decades. You know, on the buy side, I was a portfolio manager for a, a concentrated investment portfolio um, at an established fund and, and, had, and was a managing partner of my own fund. Um, I really was focused on the real estate, technology, media, and retail sectors. And then on the on the sell side, I was at investment banks like Lehman Brothers and Merrill Lynch and Northland Capital, where I wore two hats. I was uh, institutional equity sales, where I covered some of the largest mutual funds, hedge funds, family offices up and down the West Coast, and involved in hundreds of IPOs across you know, multi industries. And, and then and then later as a, as a sell side analyst. Um, my last stint as a special situation analyst, um, I had the flexibility to cover a wide range of companies across industries. And that's when I found cannabis or maybe cannabis found me. Um, you know, I had great timing there because that was when um, the, uh, the early MSOs were going public in the 17, 18 time period. And, and I became the first US analyst to cover the US centric companies. Um, and from there, um, I went on to, uh, to lead a fund that was investing in cannabis, both on the on, on mostly on the private side, both in equity and in debt. But overall, you know, bridging my career, and I think what you know gets me out of bed in the morning without an alarm clock or or coffee, is um, is being actively involved in in kind of three kind of three main things. Number one, you know, being involved in unique, non-correlated, asymmetrical investment opportunities that are either uh, underknown or appreciated. Um, secondly. You know, large and expanding TAMs and market opportunities, and, and third, you know, temporary dislocations or arbitrage opportunities where there's an inflection point that will fix the current inefficiencies and uncertainties. And if you think about those three factors, that really underpins cannabis. Um, and so I'm super excited uh, to to play a small part in in in, in the space. And have things played out like you may have predicted in 2017 from a you know, legalization standpoint or any of the other you know, guesses that you may have had when you were covering the space or, or starting to cover the space? Yeah, good question. You know, I think, I think back then I called that Cannabis 1.0. And, and Cannabis 1.0 was all about you know, land grabs, market share, number of licenses, um, a very limited and you know unmature supply chain, even celebrity endorsers and founders that generally were were high level visionaries but short on execution, and and now you know I think we're entering a real exciting phase for the space and you know call it cannabis 2.0, and, and now it's all about <clears throat> profitability or path to profitability, cash flowing, being fully vertical, um, more mature supply chains. Um, discipline operating in financial um, plans and, and not being distracted by the many shiny objects uh, that are out there in the space. Um, and again, it's in, 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 in new leadership that have either a, you know, a past track record at CPG related companies or, or, or other industries where they've, they've shown and proven an ability to scale the business and do it in a profitable and measured manner. Yeah, and, and you know, I think that's a good transition to Safe Harbor Financial. So, can you tell us more about how you landed there and what you're very excited for with this current transaction of, of the Gold Public? Sure. So, you know, Safe Harbor is a very unique company. Um, you know, what it is is a highly scalable fintech platform that is essentially a neobank um, on a business to business level. 
um, you know, Safe Harbor's roots come out of partner Colorado Credit Union, dating back to 2015, when Colorado became one of the first um, states to legalize uh, cannabis, um, which opened the door for a big unmet need um, in having compliant banking and financial services to the space. Um, from these early days, uh, you know, the, the methodical approach was driven by, you know, the visionary leadership of, of, of Sunday Seafried, who not only left her post as president of PCCU to run Safe Harbor, um, but did it in a super transparent and, you know, kind of a cards face up manner to give all the related regulators comfort and transparency. Um, you know, from here, Sunday and team has grown Safe Harbor into a kind of the preeminent fintech platform for cannabis with over 600 uh, CRB depositors across 20 states, and they process over 12 billion in, in cannabis-related deposits and funds. Um, you know, it's very, it's very, very compliant focused. It's a, it's a compliance-first platform. And from here, where I enter the picture is now we are uh, going to be actively expanding our lending platform, uh, and that's exciting. And that's that's on deck as we speak. And then in the intermediate term, you know, we'll look to consolidate, to be a consolidator in the space um, by bolting on additional financial services and technologies ranging from payment processing companies to custodial services to specialty lending uh, to make Safe Harbor a true one-stop sh one shop uh, for the cannabis sector. Uh, put simply, um, as all cannabis operators know, there are many, many pain points across the space, and we look to solve those challenges. The next chapter for us will be um, will be going public. You know, we were acquired by Northern Lights Acquisition Corp, and we'll soon de SPAC, and 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 that's that's the next layer of growth for us, which which I'm super excited about. Um, for me, I'm thrilled to be part of, of joining Safe Harbor for a few reasons. You know, number one, it, it really puts my cannabis you know fundamental domain and industry knowledge to work as I've already seen a lot of the good, the bad and the ugly in the space and, and now can effectively put that, those priceless uh, lessons to, to, to work. Number two, um, excited to empower entrepreneurs who want to grow and scale the can their, their, their cannabis businesses. I tell everyone, you know, being a cannabis operator is, is, is no walk in the park. Um, you know, to be a successful operator, you have to have, you know, a very disciplined set of skills uh, ranging from specialty ag to manufacturing, to processing, to to complex distribution systems, to branding creation, to niche retail—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's quite a—it's quite a—it's quite a lot, and and so bringing uh, having access to capital or better access to capital is exciting uh, for, for us in, in compliant banking. And then third, on a personal level, you know, you know, cannabis is just fantastic from a health and wellness standpoint. Uh, the light bulb went off for me several years ago in seeing my parents who, who use medical cannabis to aid in their pain management and sleep. Um, which is way better than, than using alcohol or powerful and addicting uh, over-the-counter drugs. Um, I just still find it really puzzling that uh, it's, it's still classified as a Schedule One drug, but hopefully that changes someday soon. Yeah, it's interesting you, you bring up the idea of you know, Safe Harbor Financial being a neobank. I, I don't think I've seen that or, or thought about uh, Safe Harbor Financial as a neobank. Can, can you tell us more about that and if there's been a, a transition recently to that being more of the focus? Yeah, so the, the 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 thought process and the main driver of us going public and despacking and why there's such a large cash component to to buy out partner Colorado Credit Union, we're basically uh, positioning them now as a minority owner, and and that's and that's what this transaction does. So with that, we will transition into a fin into a fintech platform 
that removes um, a lot of the regulators and regulation that we that we have today. So, and, and that gives us a lot more flexibility to expand and scale the business. Got it. And I'm sure the uh, the multiples apply to a fintech versus a credit union that happens to dominate cannabis uh, doesn't hurt either, right? For sure. And I think and I think the onus is on us to prove that and execute against that plan. But that is surely the goal because in, in, in the great news about this is we're hitting the ground running because a lot of these, for instance, payment processing companies, we've been banking them and providing ACH services for them for years. So we have a already established and trusted relationship. And there's a lot of these companies out there that are just kind of, you know, doing it on their own. And I think there's a combination of these companies being uh, either tired or, or capital constrained and, and understanding that being part of something bigger to be part of a bigger solution is a, is a, is a much, much better way to go out um, to go out the business today. Got it. And, and let's talk more about some of the lending activities. So Safe Harbor, as you mentioned uh, previously, very deep into Colorado. Can you give us a breakdown today of, of Colorado and you know, the other states you're lending to? Sure. Um, so we, you know, our basis obviously is in Colorado. So that's, you know, the lending program actually started a, a year ago and they made some small loans to some small single state operators in Colorado, just going to test the waters. Um, uh, upon my arrival, we, we've, we've, we've uh, expanded it to, to lend across uh, multi-states and, and also, you know, to lend up and down the supply chain. So that's lending to, you know, one-off construction projects on the cultivation side, all the way up to, um, to, 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 to uh, multi-state operators. Um, so we have a very robust uh, pipeline of business, and that's you know from uh, the relationships that we that I have that there are SPAC sponsors have that are pretty cr really credible in the space and, and knowledgeable, and 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 also the 600 or so depositors at Safe Harbor that um, that are looking for capital as well. Um, so you know very excited about the platform. Um, the other big positive that we have out of the gate is. We will be lending off of Partner Colorado's, Partner Colorado's credit union's balance sheet, which is super low cost of capital. It's essentially uh, their deposit base, which is essentially negative cost of capital. So it enables us to really have nice spreads between um, uh, our cost of capital and, and, uh, and our yields, and as well on a competitive basis, um, offer you know, competitively better yields than our peers. And what type of, of lending um, is it? Is it term loans? Is it also credit facilities? What's the typical amount? Um, can you tell us more about maybe a range on, on the interest rates? Sure. So each loan is looked at on, a, on an individual risk-adjusted basis. And, you know, we're approaching lending from a more holistic value-add approach, which comes from, again, our, our deep knowledge base in understanding the business. And so we structure each of these loans um, very specialized to what's in front of us. And, and that's, you know, ranging, there's multiple variables, right? From rate to, to uh, fees, to term, uh, to MWR period, uh, debt covenants, et cetera. The typical loan for us is anywhere, and, and by the way, they're all senior secured loans. And that's where we're living and breathing out of the gate. And we're keeping it very simple and just providing first lien um, uh, loans. Um, the collateral packages for us are typically real estate centric. But we also go down the food chain on the balance sheet um, with other tangible assets and also use limited license value when, when applicable. Um, and a typical loan for us right now is in the kind of five to nine million dollar range. 
terms of terms, um, typically anywhere from two to seven years is kind of kind of the range there. Um, and again, very flexible in terms of how we structure it. Um, when post despacking, I expect our average loan size to creep up um, as well. And then in terms of rate, you know, we're living in that 10 to 13 percent range. We find that's where the better credits are from uh, just overall. Um, there's a lot of refinance opportunities out there. There's a lot of companies that have that have really graduated above and beyond the you know the high double digit type uh, uh, yields that they're paying today uh, because their business has really you know graduated and evolved into something bigger and better. And there's great opportunity for us to refi those at a you know low double digit uh, rate. Got it. And, and you did your first loan outside of Colorado with solar in Massachusetts back in, in June. Have you guys made any additional loans to non-Colorado companies? We have. So we've closed uh, roughly 20 million of, of, of so far of, of loans. And our pipeline in terms of active pipeline is roughly 35 million. Those are um, most of those are out of Colorado. Uh, they're in states like um, Ohio. Michigan, um, Massachusetts, and, um, and then and we do have a, a sizable loan uh, coming in Colorado, um, which which is a which is a good one. Um, but that's you know so we're definitely expanding outside of Colorado and actively doing that now. Yeah, and I'm glad you you mentioned some of the states. Can you tell us more about what states right now look attractive um, for Safe Harbor? Sure. So the best markets for us, you know, just, you know, as you know, every state is, is, is like a separate country. There's 35, you know, different, you know, different uh, states and, and they all have their respective pros and cons. But for us, the best markets um, kind of have kind of the following characteristics. Number one, they, they, they're limited license from, from both the, you know, retail dispensary side and a cultivation uh, side. Number two, um, they have um, very low and reasonable tax structures. Uh, number three, uh, they have clear timelines between uh, the medical to rec uh, framework and change over. Uh, number four, um, the, the power, uh, there's power equality between the state and municipality level. Municipality level. Uh, number, number five, uh, there's a proper seed to sale tracking system. Uh, number six, um, they, they legalize rec before they decriminalize. Um, number seven, um, the, they have a really feasible social equity program that is either not too restrictive or too loose. Um, and lastly, which may be self-serving, um, is having access to, to compliant banking. And, and that's, you know, that not having that creates a lot of issues ranging from, you know, uh, cash robberies to uh, uh, lending issues and, uh, and shady payment schemes. So in terms of states that we really like today that kind of have a lot of more pros than cons, it would be states like Ohio, Arizona, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Illinois, Nevada, Florida, but we're, we're state agnostic. We, you can still find really solid single state operators that can execute against any uh, background in terms of any state, in terms of the, the, the regulatory framework. Um, but those states, you know, I think are the, the better ones in terms of providing a tailwind to their businesses. Yeah, so so no mention of, of California. So it seems like you know, given that it's not a limited license state, are, are you guys not really spending much time in California, or you will, but with like a very high bar? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, 
So California, in my opinion, represents the best of cannabis and the worst of cannabis, right? On, on, on the best side, you know, it's, it's definitely what, 20, 25% of the, the cannabis market today. You're seeing some brand leadership, um, you know, the fully vertical, um, it shows that fully vertical matters in, in the state. It's, um, and uh, there's, some, there's some really solid companies there for sure. Um, on, the, on the bad side, right, it's, it's, it's super competitive, it's crowded, the, the illicit market is, is raging. Um, and the tax structure is quite is quite onerous. Even though, even with the cultivation tax change, uh, you know that's it's going to help a little bit. But some of that tax is transferred onto the retail side, which which um, is, is kind of a shell game. Uh, what was was kind of what I'm hearing. Um, in, in short, you know, I think California shows us, you know, a, a kind of a really important lesson that, you know, the the illicit market wins on potency and and, and price. Uh, while the legalized market wins on quality, consistency, and diversity. And so we're proactively being very cautious in California. So we see a lot of deals in California, a lot of deal flow, but we just have a high bar and we just haven't, you know, uh, gotten comfortable with all the risk factors uh, in the state. The other thing you mentioned that that kind of piqued my curiosity was the proper seed to sell tracking system. Can you expand a bit more on that? I thought most of them were on metric. Yeah, there's there, there you know, I think metric is, is a really capable platform. You know, most states, you know, I think the most compliant states there are using metric, but there are other, you know, other states like Illinois and others that are using others. States like Arizona don't really have a, a seed to sell seed to uh sale tracking system, which, which is problematic, um, uh, especially, um, and kind of, kind of ties into your previous question about California. I think there is, uh, some, you know, illicit weed coming in, uh, interstate from, from California and other states into Arizona, and there's real no mechanism to, uh, to, to track that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, no matter what system you're using, um, it's super important to, uh, to keep a, a very close track of, 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 of that seed to sale, um, uh, mechanism. So, so I guess the markets you're looking don't need to capture all those things because Arizona is attractive despite not having a, a proper seed to sell tracking software. Exactly. No state is perfect, but you know, you know, at a high level, the the, the you know the the regulatory framework in terms of licenses and taxes are, are, are I think are the two biggest ones because those really affect you know the supply demand imbalance and the ultimate cash flow of the business. Um, but the others are, are all factors. So no state is perfect. Um, and I think what we're seeing now, which is super interesting is some of the late adopters like the New Jersey's and the Ohio's, uh, in Florida's, I think they have the good fortune of kind of sitting back and seeing what's worked and what hasn't and using that as a framework to, to, to come to market with it, with a better, you know, mousetrap and a better regulatory framework to, to enable cannabis operators to, to truly succeed. So that brings me to, to New York then. I think another one that you mentioned was legalization before decriminalizing. Um, New York also doesn't really fit that framework, right? Correct, correct. And, and I guess it's, it's too early for Safe Harbor to tell how attractive a market that is, but I gotta imagine you guys are getting approached by, by New York operators and definitely looking there just because of the, the buzz around the market. Without a doubt, New York is super exciting. You know, you know, you know, near term for us, New Jersey is super exciting, especially because it's a limited license state, and there's, you know, there's there's an early mover advantage for uh, you know a number of the MSOs that you've seen this actually in the past quarter in terms of uh, their quarterly results. New Jersey was kind of the the one of the 
one of the best, you know, uh, data points for their quarters. Um, but yeah, New York, Pennsylvania, you know, Virginia, all those in Maryland, all those kind of East Coast centric states, I think those are the ones that are going to light up next. And a lot of the, you know, incremental growth to this to the business uh, will come from the East Coast. Um, you know, today, you know, cannabis is a $30 billion market, you know, and in, in, in five years, you know, I think it's going to double. I think it's going to be a $60 billion market, which is which is pretty exciting. But to put that in context, it's only, you know, only half of the U.S. beer market today. So still a lot of growth. We're still in the early innings of, 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 uh, of cannabis in, in, in the United States. And I think uh, that's, again, what's what's so exciting to be part of it. Yeah, and, you know, that brings me to another point. Um, we, we met when I was at MedMen, and we were covering the space from an analyst perspective. And the equity markets have pretty much closed um, in the last year and a half to two years. Um, can you tell us more about your opinions on you know, issues uh, with sort of the equity markets for cannabis companies and what may change that? Good question. You know, on the private side, first, you know, equity investors have been burned with you know unrealistic growth expectations and minimal follow through on the regulatory reform side and on the public side you've seen both of those and incremental of that you've seen uh non-fundamental issues like lack of custodial services illiquidity on you know non-nasdaq new york stock exchange listed uh exchange companies and which basically blocks out 80 percent of true institutional investors um, so I believe, you know, with a little regulatory reform that, you know, today is a very interesting time to be focused on the sector. You know, history has proven that, you know, when capital is scarce and uncertainty rules the day, that, you know, many great, you know, companies have really kind of been formed. And, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it oftentimes rhymes. So you look at companies like Disney in 1929 or Microsoft in 1975 or Uber and Venmo in 2009. I think a lot there's there's going to be you know a handful of companies that really emerge uh, over the over the coming years as true leaders in the cannabis space. And going back to what I said before, I think the the change in focus from 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 the company perspective in terms of cannabis 2.0 operators that are really focused on profitability, that are really focused on unit economics, and I think that is a key thing, a key differentiator in, in terms of you know, I think, and I think COVID really accentuated that in terms of really being focused on your costs, really being focused on what your unit economics are, what your gross margins are, what your operating margins are, and ultimately, you know, how that leads to profitability and cash flow. And I think that's what, what gets really exciting um, for, um, for, for me to be involved with. So on, on that point, though, you know, I think I, I've definitely heard people, and, and I am in agreement with this, but from a timing perspective, over the past 18 to 24 months, uh, a lot of people have mentioned getting into cannabis, and now it's time, but I think what you're saying is more of you have to be a long-term believer, right, and that there will potentially still be short-term pains that's, that's maybe hard to account for. I do, and I think, and I think another part of what's going to happen today or in the near term is, you know, there's going to be consolidation. It's it's inevitable, and that's going to be forced consolidation and some non-forced consolidation. I think, you know, I think many non-vertical companies, niche companies, unprofitable businesses, are, are really going to have to look hard at finding a dance partner. And I think that's going to also help um, the the more profitable companies and and kind of longer-term sustainable companies really succeed. So I think that's another thing that will happen that will really, uh, really help the, the industry move forward. 
So, so what do you what do you think? Um, you know, what's your your best guess on sort of safe banking and what may happen towards the uh, latter end of this year? Sure. So, you know, safe banking is a question we get a lot, um, you know, and I realize that the high level opinion here and expectation is that safe banking will will usher in a flood of new you know, banks and, and financial institutions to the cannabis space. You know, I have a more muted view on this and and uh, I do think it's a net positive and I do think I do hope it happens soon. At one, some point we got to get, you know, get go one for eight or oh for seven so far. But, you know, for, for, for me, I think, you know, the what what safe banking changes is it definitely removes the prosecution risk that continues to linger over all, you know, all of us. Um, I know, you know, myself and others will sleep a lot better um, when, when safe banking is in place. Um, um, you know, in, in the in the two in the two laterals for safe safe banking, I think that are one would be really interesting to see if Visa and Mastercard, uh, you know, have enough comfort to, to enter the space. And, and two, you know, uh, from a public equity standpoint, you know, the lack of custodial services from from big reputable banks that do that. Um, hopefully, that'll give them comfort to enter the space too, because you know, even just buying a cannabis stock is very difficult today. So having you know proper custody is going to be a, a big plus. What it doesn't change is, is, is BSA in, in the bank, bank Secrecy Acts. So that is, I think, you know, a big, a big deal. And that will be, you know, a huge part of banking and lending and cannabis, even with safe banking passing. Um, you, you've seen this even today with many of the money service businesses like gas stations, liquor stores, casinos, that still remain pretty challenging and limited to bank. And I think it's going to be the same for cannabis. You know, in short, you know, I think, you know, cash intensive businesses truly need a compliance foundation. And for cannabis, um, you know, this is, this is where, this is the differentiator between, the, you know, the illicit market and, and, the, and the legalized market. You know, so for my short time at Safe Harbor, I have a newfound appreciation for, for how compliance heavy in, 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 in this, this business is in terms of if you want to uh, bank the space in a, in a proper manner. Um, you know, the, the number of federal and state um, filings that, that Safe Harbor has to file and all the different exams they have to pass, it's, it's quite onerous and it's not for everybody. So in fact, we've actually seen a number of credit unions and financial institutions, you know, exit the cannabis business. Um, some of them um, voluntarily just want to get out. It's, it's just too compliant heavy and we're looking to acquire their book of business. And then some are doing it um, on a force basis where the regulators have um, have are forcing them to shut down their practice, and, and we're looking at, at those uh, those opportunities as well. But it's not an easy space to bank, and um, and I think again, safe safe banking will help, but it won't be a mad rush of folks entering uh, the cannabis banking space. Other potential macro catalysts do you think would, would help the cannabis industry, and, and how likely are they to play out from a timing perspective? Sure, I mean I think we've seen a number of of, of great you know. Uh, momentum on the regulatory side, um, you know, you know, just year to date in in terms of um, number of bills being introduced. I think it's nearly fifteen hundred bills that have been introduced this year. That's a five x increase from from five years ago. Um, and, and so I think one near term catalyst that I think is super interesting is Germany in terms of uh, if they uh, put in a recreational legalized framework, that can be a, a really great um, kind of wake up call to, to, the, to the world that cannabis is, is heading that way. Um, and also I think, again, continued decriminalization of, of, of cannabis, uh, that's 
uh, going to be super important. I, I do think, you know, the, the Brittany Griner situation really highlights, you know, the huge inherent, you know, contradictions that still plague the industry today. But I think um, hopefully that'll be a, a thing of the past very soon. I do have very um, realistic expectations. I do think, you know, due to all the um, dysfunction in DC today, I, I do think that cannabis does get pushed down the priority scale uh, with other issues um, that, that are on the docket today. Um, but, you know, in terms of bipartisan support, I think the trains left the station from a, from a consumer standpoint, um, you know, get, to get 70% of Americans to agree that, that cannabis is, a, is, is, is real and should be legal is, is pretty incredible. Um, DC just has to uh, catch up to that. And, and I, I think they will in due time. Yeah, and, and were you surprised with the recent news that you know Joe Biden was was doing the student loan forgiveness plan ahead of maybe you know release of prisoners who are incarcerated for cannabis crimes, or was that kind of you know lockstep and what needs to happen? You know that helps us figure with way more Americans than the, the cannabis issue. Yeah, I mean I think it was, it was disappointing um, because I do again I think. There was a lot of hope with him coming into office and, and with his uh, administration, uh, there was some momentum uh, on, on many fronts on the regulatory side, but you know, a lot of it has faded away. And so it's it just, again, it seems like it's just fallen down the priority scale for, for his administration. Um, but I, I do think there's, there's a lot of support around him. Um, you know, the other interesting thing that I thought was super interesting was you know, the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, just last month you know, held a uh, criminal justice meeting um, regarding decriminalizing cannabis at the, at the federal level. Um, that was, you know, well attended and, and, and well received, I think. And uh, I just, I watched it um, uh, last week and I thought it was just you know, very compelling. So I do think, you know, momentum is here. And I think um, if they can just spend some time, you know, thinking about it, I think it just makes, uh, you know, a ton of common sense to, to, to finally, um, you know, lift some of the, some of the restrictions against, uh, against, the, against the plant. And I want to go, go back to the, the type of customers that Safe Harbor lends to. You know, we didn't really talk about brands. Would you guys consider lending to brands today, or, or where are your opinions on brands? Yeah, it's a great question and, and, and a very debatable uh, issue. But you know, for us, you know, if it's just a branding company that's asset asset light, it's hard for us today because you know the underlying collateral package is will be will be um, will be pretty weak. Um, however, you know, if it's a cash flowing business that has, um, you know, that has real scale and profitability, that is, that is something that we'll, we'll definitely look at. Um, so, you know, brands don't yet matter today. Um, you know, I think, you know, price uh, effect and location are the key drivers uh, to, uh, to, to buyers of cannabis today. But over the long term, you know, big believer in brands will make a difference. You know, you've seen this in other industries. Again, um, I like to, to point to the, the spirits market and you think about vodka, which is a pretty commodity uh, uh, drink. Uh, there's over 1500 vodkas on the market today. And, you know, the key differentiator, you know, I think is marketing. Um, and that I think will, will, will matter more and more. But today it doesn't matter. People are really price sensitive. People are very focused on, on uh, the THC content uh, per dollar that they're spending. Um, and again, you've seen that in early days of, 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 of spirits in terms of moonshine being the preeminent uh, form of alcohol where it maximized the alcohol content in time. You see, uh, you know, flavors and other things come into play. That same 
dynamic I think is going to play into cannabis and, and specifically, you know, an under kind of underappreciated part of cannabis is, is terpene profile. You know, a lot of people like to talk about, you know, THC percentage, but, you know, the use of terpenes correctly really, really augment uh, the, the taste and flavor and effect of, of, of the cannabis. Are, are there any brands you're paying attention to in terms of some of these scale brands that may be getting closer to or are in fact cash flow positive? Sure. I mean, I think at the retail level, uh, I mean, I mean, Cookies has done a phenomenal job. I think people, you know, feel very comfortable and, and, and they're very, you know, excited about, you know, going into a cookie store. Um, on the branding, on the brand, in, in, on the branding side and the store side, I think Stizzy has done a phenomenal job um, uh, with their brand and, and, and doing it, you know, not only, you know, going deep in California, but also smartly, you know, doing licensing deals outside the state. Um, and, then, and then there's little brands that you've talked about, like what Jeter's has done is pretty, is pretty spectacular um, in terms of, you know, an asset light model that's really, you know, really focused on a core pre-roll product and, and focused on quality and really, you know, smart marketing and smart social media marketing. You know, it's pretty, it's pretty astounding their growth. And I know you've highlighted that in the past, um, but there, there's, there's a number of brands that, that I think are really doing a great job. Um, and they're not getting the, the full uh, credit for that today, but I think they're really building a nice foundation for, for, for what they're doing and, and will matter in time. Yeah, because some of the issues I'm hearing with brands, and, and maybe it doesn't affect some of these top brands that we just mentioned, is just their, um, you know, their, their payables are now just really extending, right? If it's net 30, net 45, now maybe closer to net 90 to 120, um, so having some line of credit or some access to, to debt uh, would certainly help, but understood that it needs to be cash flow positive to actually service that debt for you guys to, to be comfortable. Correct. I mean, at the end of the day, right? I mean, your, 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 your collateral package is only as good as your debt service and your debt service is only as good as the, the underlying business. So the underlying business part is, is where we, you know, we spend a lot of time understanding because it's such a nuanced uh, business, um, you know, state by state, company by company, and, you know, understanding the business and the drivers and, and their either path to profitability or current profitability, or again, having a deep understanding of the unit economics of their business, um, that, that is really key for us because that drives uh, the value chain and, and the value creation on the lending side.